Hello, everybody. This is Parrish Alford with the Daily Journal, and you have clicked into another edition of Justify Your Existence, the podcast where we talk Ole Miss SEC. Well, you know, Mississippi State, they're in the SEC too, guys. I almost forgot them there in the intro. Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and the SEC. We try to touch a little bit uh, of everything there, touch all the bases. Uh, I'm joined by Theo DeRosa, who covers Mississippi State for the Columbus Commercial Dispatch, and Michael Katz, our Ole Miss writer for the Daily Journal. How are you guys? Doing well. Thanks for having me on today. Hey, Michael, how about you? You checking in? I'm checking in. I'm good. I'm good. Getting ready for another road trip. Hey, are you pumped up about the Dodgers? Is this their year? No, I I know how this ends. (laughs) I, uh... Uh, you know, they just set like the franchise record, franchise record with 111. And I've already texted all my friends. I'm like, Nash, uh, division series loss confirmed. Like, I just, I know, I know how this is going to go. It's going to rip my heart out, and my birthday's going to suck because it's always around my birthday. 111 wins, man. That's a lot. That's it lot. is, but uh, I, I don't trust uh, their their pitching is a little bit. Uh, they don't have the depth they they normally do. And, uh, you know, they do have a, a, a not great history of Octobers. Well, we're, we're getting that time of year where I, I, I pay a little attention to baseball again. Theo, who's your team, man? Are you a Giants guy up there in the north? No, I'm a Phillies fan, so I'm happy they made the playoffs for the first time in 11 years. But we'll see how it goes. Uh, hoping to get up to St. Louis for a potential Sunday game. If not, that means they've either been eliminated and uh, swept or they've swept the series themselves. So we'll see. Well, I'll tell you what, I grew up with the Astros, okay, on AM radio in Baton Rouge. They were on you know, the- I'm a huge Astros fan, Paris. I know you are. I know you are. But when I got over here, I just kind of migrated to the Braves in Mississippi, okay, because, you know, I started out in Meridian and everybody. It's, it's just, it, it just is the place where you can go, where, where you can get, uh, where you can easily access a major league game. And so when the two of them were in the World Series last year, that was pretty cool. But uh, cool, cool for me. Um, I was going to say, cool is a relative term there. Yeah, yeah. For for however it ended, I was I was going to be okay. Well, let's let's talk some college football here, guys. Um, Mississippi State. Let's start with you, Theo. Uh, big win for the Bulldogs in Starkville last week. Actually, I uh, got back uh, from the Ole Miss game in time to watch uh, the second half. I, I caught a bunch of that game on the radio and got back and watched the second half. And I, I know consistency has been kind of a buzzword for Mike Leach this year. He's moved off of uh, inexperience. Uh, you know, he still throws out the age thing, but, yeah, I think that's a wash. You, you know, I think experience and age kind of, uh, you know, if, if you have played the games, man, then you're growing up. But I thought that was a consistent game for State, and uh, we'll see if they can be consistent again not within a game, but from game to game with Arkansas coming in. And uh, looks like Arkansas, the, the big storyline is K.J. Jefferson, their quarterback, a, a Mississippi guy uh, from Sardis. Uh, will he play or, or won't he play? Uh, wh- what are you hearing on that, Theo? It still remains wait and see. Last I heard, Sam Pittman said that Jefferson practiced yesterday, yesterday being the benchmark Wednesday for whether guys can play or not. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to play necessarily. I know he's going to travel for the trip to Starkville. Whether he actually takes the field remains to be seen. I'm sure they want to be careful with him, given that sounds like he's in concussion protocol, although Pittman did not say that. 
Um, if he's out, it's either Malik Hornsby, who's kind of more of a like dual threat, has even played at wide receiver, or probably Cade Fortin, the USF transfer, who got some action uh, last week against Alabama after Jefferson went down. Fortin has limited experience, though. I think either of those guys is a pretty big drop-off from Jefferson, and it's a pretty big loss if he can't play. Still don't know whether he will end up just, you know, trotting out there on Saturday. But as of now, I mean, I kind of have a lot of doubt that he would be able to play and that he'd be able to play just fully healthy and effectively like Homo. Well, here's the thing about concussions, though, man. Um, you have to clear protocol. And it's so, of course, we, we see in Mississippi how these guys, how Mike Leach and, and Lane Kiffin uh, avoid the injury conversation. And, and uh, that's seems the norm at most places, more more even than it used to be. But it was funny it, listening to Sam Pittman on Monday. I mean, because he basically described uh, a concussion. He described a concussion, and everybody who cares about Arkansas football uh, saw K.J. Jefferson get hit in the head and leave the game, and he gives all these symptoms, but he would not confirm concussion protocol. He wouldn't say, yes, he's in concussion protocol. But when you're dealing with a concussion – and getting out of concussion protocol and being cleared to play, I mean, basically it's about passing a series of tests. I mean, as it's been explained to me, I mean, it's, it's like, uh, you know, uh, state your name and, and uh, your zip code and, you know, and who we play this week. And yeah, obviously a little more, more serious than that. But when you leave protocol, it's not like there's an ankle that you're going to be favoring or a foot or a, an injury. I mean, when, when you come out of protocol, when it's determined that, uh, that, that you're good to go, I mean, there's no other physical drawbacks. I, I would think that uh, if he gets in the game, he's going to be, you know, 100%, you know, physically fit. Now, K.J. Jefferson at 100%, even though he played well, was still not enough for Arkansas to beat the Texas A&M team uh, that State just demolished. So we'll uh, we'll see how that progresses. But it would be uh, another side note here, Theo. Let's say he doesn't play. Then all of a sudden, um, State has the good fortune to play Texas A&M without Anaya Smith, its top receiver. I don't think he would have made a difference. He wouldn't have covered that gap. But that's out there then perhaps K.J. Jefferson doesn't play. And didn't I read from you right now that Will Levis, uh, Kentucky quarterback, uh, has some injury issues going on as well? Yeah, it sounds like he might not play against South Carolina. He'll probably be back by Mississippi State's game next week. But, yeah, State has, you know, gotten a couple breaks as far as injuries from other teams. Of course, they're dealing with their own with Tala Bill Johnson banged up. Jaden Cromedy hasn't played yet this year. And Zach Arnett actually acknowledged that Cromedy wasn't available, which is kind of new for Mississippi State as far as like even acknowledging that but yeah. I mean you can see him out there with a cast on I don't think it's any surprise the state has had his own injury issues but you're right the bigger name players for some of these opponents have been you know the ones getting hurt and state has actually injury or not faced a lot of backup quarterbacks this year uh, Bowling Green's starting quarterback didn't play and the backup had to play the entire game Haynes King came in uh Noah from uh, Arizona also replaced Jane Delora. You saw a lot of backup quarterbacks. Maybe that's just because State was doing so well. But it's interesting to see some of the injury issues that have affected their opponents so far. 
Well, Michael, is uh, Will Levis's injury a product of your coverage? Do you like read djournal.com and, and just emotionally distraught uh, after the Rebels won 22 to 19 uh, last week? What do you think? Yeah, I, I don't know if a uh, broken heart is on the injury report, but uh, that was that was that was quite the game. Uh, I know everybody focused on his his broken finger on on that left hand, I believe it was, but that is not uh, that is not the injury from from what I've seen, but. Uh, and you know, it, the, the, my favorite part about that was like, everybody sees his broken hand and like, they put him under center on like the very next time he's out there. I was like, man, they're really <laughs> testing the integrity of those hands, but, uh, he's a good player. That, 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 that would be a big loss if you can't play against South Carolina. All right. So Ole Miss is at Vanderbilt, uh, trying to improve to six and oh, I think they're going to get there. Uh, when you go to Vanderbilt, you have that expectation, even though, the Commodores uh, have occasionally jumped up and uh, bitten the Rebels in this series. They play every year. But I I've seen a little bit of Vanderbilt, Michael, and I would say they are somewhere between improved and the national championship contender that Clark Lee says they will become. But is there more than the eye test to support this theory that Vanderbilt is better? Um, I, I think where – I think everybody or a lot of people watched that first game against Hawaii in like week zero and they just blew them out. And I think people were like, Oh, like maybe Vanderbilt really is better. And you know, they've kind of come down to earth a little bit since they lost the Wake Forest and then they got smoked by Alabama where there's, you know, that's not uh, too much shame there, but um, yeah, they're definitely better, particularly on offense. They're up almost 20 points a game. They've got a new quarterback. Who's a, he was a four-star recruit, um, a true freshman, A.J. Swan, who's been playing really, really well. And he replaced Mike Wright, who uh, kind of gave Ole Miss fits last year in that very strange, closer than it, it was expected to be uh, game. Um, I, I, I do think that where you're going to see where they're not quite there yet is on defense. They're giving up around 34 points a game. And I just don't think the talent's there. Yet, you know, they've got, you know, some some good players, but um, I, I think Ole Miss is uh, I think Ole Miss is going to put up a lot of points. Uh, I, I I it would take a lot of things going wrong, I think, for Vanderbilt to stay in this one. Well, let's talk about Ole Miss putting up points. I think Lane Kiffin's a little frustrated with that right now, and, and he alluded this week to adjustments that defenses are making. Uh, against tempo offenses, which I thought uh, what was interesting. And, and he said what he's seeing uh, is more rotation from defensive lines and uh, an effort to keep starters fresher in the second half. Uh, do you think that's playing into uh, Ole Miss's uh, decreasing offensive numbers in the second half? I mean, I think it might play a part if, if you look at it as – if they're rotating guys on the defensive line and you're not rotating guys on the offensive line, there might be a bit of an advantage for the fresher guys on the defense. And, you know, the Ole Miss offensive line, it's, it's, it's been a shuffling sort of, it, it has not been what I think we thought it was going to be. They had two true, they had two redshirt freshman tackles last week. They had normally a guard playing center. They had just a lot of guys in different spots and uh, it's really kind of tested the integrity of, of, of the depth there. And, uh, you know, when, when you have teams that can put in, uh, you know, start with a 300-pounder on the line and then bring in another one who's of the same caliber in the fourth quarter, 
and you're going against the same center or guard or tackler, whatever it is, I, I do think there is something for that. But um, I, I think that the it's – and Lane kind of brought it up. It's A lot of times it's been like – it's just like one thing here or there with, with, with those stalled drives. And, you know, one of them last week, I think it was in the second quarter, but – uh, you know, Malik Heath, an offensive pass interference when they're down in uh, close to 20. I know they were they were pretty close to scoring and it was just like a little push and it could have gone either way and it went against them. Or it's a false start on on third and third and short that backs it up or on fourth and short. You know, there was the Michael Trigg one um, where where they were they would have gone for it, but then he jumped. It's just a lot of of little things that I think you expect to get ironed out eventually, but I can understand why it's a little bit disappointing, especially when you see like when that tempo is rolling, they're really good and they're really hard to stop. But once they kind of slow themselves down, they kind of come back down to earth. And I think that that probably is a little bit frustrating. Marco, you mentioned Malik Heath a minute ago. How has he been doing since transferring from Mississippi state? sounds like he's uh, been pretty involved. Yeah, he's uh, he's their leading receiver right now. I think the that group has sort of been uh, a little bit of a mystery just in terms of um, what what they thought, you know, what we all expected. You know, we, we saw Jalen Robinson was a guy from Central Florida who I think was going to be the vertical threat. He's had some injuries and, and I think he's only caught a pass or two. Um, thus far and Jordan Watkins has been, he, you know, he had his best game last week. I think he caught two passes. Uh, it's really been Mingo who has been there for a while. And then Malik Heath, who's kind of been that physical presence that they don't really have other than Michael Trigg. Um, he's been really good, but uh, you know, you will see those times when he gets a little bit too aggressive and, and he's, you know, he's, he's an emotional guy and sometimes uh, that can get the best of them. Theo, why is Malik Heath at, at Ole Miss? I mean, I've had people theorize that he was about to be replaced by Caleb Ducking. What's uh and you know what's what do you think played into uh, Malik Heath's mind that uh, made him believe he needed a fresh start? I don't know. When you're talking about the mind of a guy who went out and kicked a Tulsa player in the head during a bowl game, I really I can't really speculate on what's on his mind. But I do think losing snaps to Rara Thomas and to the Griffin and Caleb Ducking has to have played a part in it. You know, he saw all the receiver talent leave at like with. Ontario Drummond and Berlin Sanders at Ole Miss and realized, you know, there's probably snaps to be had. And apparently there are if he's their leading receiver so far. I mean, it sounds like he probably made a good decision for him as far as getting more playing time, getting more experience and just doing better statistically. So I could see why a Jackson guy would, you know, look at the other program in the state for that. He was good in camp, wasn't he, Michael? Looked like he was uh, kind of started to separate himself there a little bit. Yeah, no, he, uh, again, I, I've said this to to a few people that he is the sort of wide receiver presence they don't really have otherwise, just in terms of the bigger guy. And Mingo is kind of that way too. Um, but, uh, you know, they have a lot of guys who are kind of on the smaller side at receiver, um, kind of guys who look like slots. Uh, Ming, uh, uh, Malik Heath is, is one of those bigger guys who you can throw up a ball to him and he's going to make a play. Now, sometimes – He'll try to make too much of a play and he'll get called for it, but uh, he's going to try to win those jump ball battles. And um, I, I think he's been really good for them. Well, I've been underwhelmed by state's receivers much of this season. I, I thought I would see uh, someone emerge from that group earlier than, than I have, but uh, it looks like they 
put some things together against Texas A&M. Maybe they're going to begin to uh, get on a roll. But, uh, Theo, tell me a little bit about uh, Mississippi State in the red zone. I know you wrote about that this week. Uh, you know, you, you were not dismayed when uh, Mike Leach blew off that question in the press conference and said, ah, we, we've been good at, in that category before. But uh, there is a noticeable improvement, as you pointed out, in State's success when they get in close compared to last year? What, what's, what stood out for them to help them get there? I don't know, but you're right. They have been way more efficient. I think they're 16 of 17 in the red zone with 15 touchdowns. Last year, the touchdown percentage and the overall score rate were kind of middle of the pack. This year, you know, top 20, I think top five in touchdown percentage. I think just having the reliable threat of Caleb Ducking in there helps. Ducking has six touchdowns. I think two or three have come outside the uh, red zone, but just having a 6'5 guy who can make those plays, like you saw the first touchdown against AM, just kind of getting some separation in the end zone, making the catch for a touchdown. When you have that, when you have a guy like Rufus Harvey able to drag a defender over the line and score, I think, you know, you're seeing fewer of the negative plays that kind of hurt them in the red zone where it would be first and goal at the six, and then it'd be second goal at the six, and then third and goal at the six. You're not seeing that anymore. They're getting yardage on the ground because the run game has been so much better setting up shorter second downs, shorter third downs, and helping them kind of punch it in on, on touchdowns in, red zone, in the red zone. So I think that's been huge for them, just being able to convert on some of those opportunities. And you've seen the offense score more than nine points per game, more per, per game, if that makes sense. So averaging 38 points this year. It's just been, you know, a step up for them so far. And apart from the LSU game, I think they've looked pretty consistent, pretty good in pretty much every game. You're not really seeing... I kind of expected Jaden Wally to have a much bigger year than he's had. I think he has about 10 catches this year. Austin Williams, only nine catches. While some of those inside guys have taken a step back, you've seen Rara Thomas have breakout games like last week, and you've seen Ducking, of course, and Harvey step up. So it's kind of give and take, but especially in the red zone, State has been really good. And I think that's part of the reason why. Well, it's fun to see Ducking score because he does that little uh, that dance. That's kind of taken off, hasn't it? Sure has. Uh, even if Jaden Waddle did it first, Jalen Waddle did it first, uh, Ducking's claiming it anyway. So it is fun to see, though. They all get into it. Yeah. Uh, guys, let's uh, jump outside Mississippi for a little bit. Uh, we got uh, the, the the Jimbo and, and Nick Bowl this year, which uh, kind of took on a life of its own uh, with uh, the offseason comments uh, from Jimbo Fisher about Nick Saban. And, and uh, you knew this game uh, – on the calendar was was going to get a lot of coverage and a lot of that would uh would would come back around but uh now you know Texas A&M and, and Alabama uh, is going to be uh, uh in Tuscaloosa Saturday night at 7 do, do things like this uh, these off-season comments these coach spats uh, do you think they factor in into these games do they matter they factor in as far as Alabama is now going to win by 38 instead of 35 <laughs> yeah, I uh, this game looked a lot more appealing uh, a, a few months ago. Uh, I, I, you know, Texas A&M is just they are not, I think, where they expected to be or where a lot of us expected them to be based on on the hype and the recruiting and all that stuff. Uh, and especially with the way last year's game happened uh, with A&M winning that one. I think Alabama is going to. And I know there's some questions about Bryce Young and his health and whatnot. Um, I don't think it matters who the quarterback is for this game. Like Alabama is going to roll. 
Now, Theo, you've seen Texas A&M live, and as often happens uh, in a football season, the more the games play out, you 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 see these teams more, and you develop ideas and opinions and everything. I, I thought, well, when they lost to Appalachian State, I thought, well. You know, uh, App's a good team. It's a good program. Uh, they're going to go in and, and knock some people off every now and then. That that, that they can do that. You know, they they have a history uh, with that. Uh, and then A and M responds to uh, beat Miami, and I thought, well, okay, so maybe maybe they're still okay. And and then Miami gets uh, handled at home by Middle Tennessee State. And as these games play out, you see more and more. But it just looks like a Texas A and M team that uh, is underachieving. I mean, the the whole point of the offseason uh, blow-up there was, uh, you know, uh, Nick Saban's concern with uh, Texas A&M's recruiting and how they were getting all these talented recruits. Well, you know, just getting away from uh, the the core of that argument, these talented recruits, why, why are they not producing more? I mean, what, what did you see from the Agnes? Yeah, I didn't think they looked very good at all. I mean – their run game is obviously solid, but even A-Chain had a fumble and, you know, Max Johnson was pressured the entire time and didn't have very good numbers. Haynes King probably looked better than him, but more garbage time, you know, than when Johnson was in the game. Their pass defense wasn't as good as I expected. I know they had a good secondary coming in, but you saw Rogers throw for 330 yards and three touchdowns, no picks. So maybe that's just what Mississippi State does, but I wasn't really impressed by Anything AM did, they didn't sack Rodgers. They didn't really stop the run that well. I mean, they allowed six uh, six yards per carry for Mississippi State. Yeah, looking back at it, I can't really think of a single thing that I was like, oh, AM, that's why they're a good team. That's why they're in the top 25. This is what they do well. So I know there are things, but they didn't really show them against State. Well, I felt a little better about Kentucky last week, Michael. I thought that was a good team, and it was a good defense. And I thought, for the most part, it was uh, a couple of teams uh, playing well in that game. Uh, and it was it was unusual to see Ole Miss win in the way that it did, forcing the fumbles at the end. I mean, they played good defense, but they it reached that point in the game uh, maybe uh, fatigue, maybe on defense, maybe just a little comfort level with Kentucky uh, seeing that defense more and more. But Kentucky was starting to drive the ball. They were starting to make plays. You had reached that point in the game, but the defense came up with the stops two times. And, uh, you know, uh, forcing a turnover is about the best way you can get a stop when you can get the ball back. Uh, what were your impressions of Kentucky? I think Kentucky's a very good team. They're they're not perfect. They do have some notable flaws. That offensive line, I do think, is a problem. And uh, Ole Miss kind of brought that out in them with the three sacks, the the safety. Uh, I know that they got Rodriguez back, and and he looked fine, but that running game still wasn't um, you know dominant. I think they had like 120 yards or something. And granted, they were they came in I think averaging 80, so it was a pretty big step up, but uh that you know they're, they're they do have some problems there but you know levis is a really really good player um he's a top 10 guy most likely coming up and on defense they play really hard and they're physical and this was the sort of game that i don't think you when you think of like lane kiffin all miss you don't think of them winning these sort of ugly games and they won a really ugly game like a one that it had to be the defense, the offense, you know, a 22-19 game is not one you expect 
like Ole Miss to come out on top, but um, you know, they, they made the plays they had to, and, and they set a tempo defensively and uh, you know, the offense wasn't always pretty and um, you know, the yardage looked okay, but there's still some stuff they're working through offensively, um, you know, in the passing game and, and, and kind of getting things going in the second half, but uh, they made all the plays they had to on defense. They, you know, if, if, if a team is going to, you know, Ole Miss has high expectations and if they're going to get where they want to go, sometimes in a season you have games like this where it doesn't look great, but you just kind of come out with a win, you know, Georgia just barely beat Missouri. And, you know, it was like, it was this really ugly game and you just, you win it and you move on. And, you know, Ole Miss was obviously bigger than that because it was the top 10 team, but, uh, you know, you, you you win games in different ways in this sort of season. And uh, I, I, I was impressed. You know, obviously, do you want to win every game by like three touchdowns? Of course. But uh, to win a game like this where it really came down to the end and your team made the plays, I think was really big. Yeah, Are you I saying thought, Missouri's not a top 10 team? Nah, not in the year of our Lord 2022. I'm afraid not. I thought Ole Miss adjusted well to Chris Rodriguez in the second half. I thought they tackled him better. Uh, he, he really, in the first half, looked like he could have been the difference in that game. But again, as I, as I say, as I said, as you see these games play out, suddenly uh, a team looks better, a team looks not as good, and things just look different. And Theo, I'm I'm looking at this October for Mississippi State a little bit differently now. Not that it's easy. But it's almost like I see it as more manageable. And now they've gotten off to a good start with the win over AM. I think Arkansas, with or without KJ Jefferson, uh, can be had. I, I just think they, you know, they they did not look like that dominant team uh, against AM. And I, I see a, a Kentucky team. Now that's going to be a different challenge for state going on the road in Lexington. But again, you know, I, I see a Mississippi State team that looks better than it did in Baton Rouge and, and suddenly maybe uh, some vulnerability in some of these other teams. How do you think this, uh, this very important October plays out for State? I mean, I, to me, I, I think it defines their season. You know, you got to have success in this month to reach, to be beyond the Liberty Bowl. Yeah, I think so far so good, of course. They looked about as good as could be expected, minus maybe a quarter of, you know, back and forth punts uh, against AM. And now, like you said, Arkansas looks like a very winnable game, especially at home. Their secondary is so bad and injured and Jefferson might not play. Just hard to see Mississippi State like going out and laying an egg. You know, I know they fell apart a little bit against LSU. They could do that against Arkansas, but based on the majority of their play, I wouldn't expect that to happen. And then that Kentucky game, if, you know, Levis is banged up first off, but even if not, even if he's fully healthy, it's not a game where it's like, okay, Kentucky's definitely going to win. I think Mississippi State, you know, has the pieces to win pretty much every game on its schedule, except Alabama, which is the game after Kentucky. So if they can go three and one in October, I mean, they'd be what, six and two at the end of the month, Georgia, uh, Auburn and Ole Miss left on the schedule. I think you're going to have to take that if you're Mississippi State. At this point, given the schedule you have. And so far, I think, you know, this really difficult October, like you said, isn't shaping out so hard so far. So we'll see how it goes Saturday, but state's on a right track, good track so far. 
All right, so you didn't include Georgia in that uh, in the unwinnable game category. So you like the Bulldogs' chances there. You think they can knock off Georgia and start well in November? I think the Bulldogs are definitely going to win, whether that's Georgia or Mississippi State has yet to be seen. But uh, I think it's not out of the question. I think the only game that, like, very little chance is Alabama. Only, you know, seeing how Georgia – if Mizzou can do that to Georgia, I know they didn't win, but Mississippi State can definitely do that to Georgia. You know, I think Alabama looks a little bit different. I mean, not, not that you're, not that they're just going to uh, lay down or anything like that or, that or that that would ever be an easy game. But the Alabama game last year for both of the Mississippi teams was just so lopsided. I mean, it was – I know Ole Miss scored a few points late and closed the gap a little bit. That, that game was, uh, you know, really uh, got away from the Rebels in the first half, and, and then there was a huge gap. Uh, between uh, State and Alabama and Starkville. I, I really want to see how these teams compete in that game this year, and, uh, and, it's, and it's coming up. The Georgia game for State, I think, is interesting. November is an interesting month because after October, it's not that November is easy, but, you know, all of a sudden you've, you've got an Auburn team that is having some problems. You've got East Tennessee State on that schedule you got the Egg Bowl that's always a toss-up. Um, you know, it's it's just a different-looking month for State than um, than it is uh, – than October is. But, you know, I look – speaking of the Egg Bowl, and, and, and I'll get us to the off-ramp here uh, after this, this comment. Um, yeah, you want to play the game at home, and that will be an advantage for Ole Miss. But I think it's a huge advantage this year that – Mississippi State, while not playing the game at home, does have East Tennessee State the Saturday before. That's a big advantage. Ole Miss on that Saturday goes to Arkansas. Last year for Ole Miss, that game was Vanderbilt. and You know, that's as close as you could get to East Tennessee State within the conference. But uh, some scheduling down there that's going to make, uh, you know, could make uh, an impact when Thanksgiving gets here. Folks, that will wrap us up for this edition of Justify Your Existence, where we talk Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and the SEC. For Michael Katz and Theo DeRosa, I am Parrish Alford. Thanks for being with us.